I don't know how many of you caught what just happened there. <laughs> What's that? Still, that's what I'll get to that. That'll be my excuse here in a moment. Uh, there is always so much that goes on up here that is spoken. You know, we talk about nonverbal communication. And if you didn't catch this, what happened is I looked at the pulpit and realized my Bible was not there. And then I started the frantic search for where I had left it. And fortunately, thank you for catching. The, the front row knew. I, I turned around and Tony whispered, it's on the front row. And I was like, okay. In the middle service, I sit down here. So I move my stuff. But the problem is sometimes it doesn't always get back. So thank you for those that are attentive to my needs um, in the moment. What's that? <laughs> she said she's used to finding my stuff. That's true. That, that's I'd love having her back there. Such a joy. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. We're going to move to the scripture before I get in trouble. Uh, this morning, I'm going to do something that I've never done before. We are going, and I'm going to preach from an entire book of the Bible. We are going to read right here an entire book. There are 66 books in the Old and New Testament combined, and we're going to read the entire book of Philemon this morning, which sounds daunting until you realize it is only one page. So we're going to, we're going to read, this is uh, Paul's letter to, to Philemon. It's 25 verses. It is one of the two New Testament letters that is actually written to an individual. Uh, this letter and the letter of 3 John are the two letters that are written to an individual person. Most of the letters are written by Paul and, and the pastoral epistles are written to communities of faith. Galatia, Ephesus, Corinth, the, the names of the letters themselves that you may be familiar with. So they're, they're, they're written to a group of people. Philemon is written to Philemon. This is a personal letter that Paul sends to, to this brother in Christ. And we're going to read the entirety of the letter this morning. So we begin at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of the Lord. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Let me, let me pause there for a moment. I want to give you a little context. You're just going to kind of hear this in the letter. Paul's in prison. He's in jail, as Paul would often find himself. And so this is kind of my understanding. This is my uh, biblical insight. I, I think Paul, right there from the beginning, wants to make one thing very clear. While the Romans may have me chained up, I belong to Jesus. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. He reframes what this means. So rather than saying, Paul, a prisoner of Rome, he says, no, I'm a, I'm a prisoner in the best sense of the term of Christ Jesus. And then he says, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. 
It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Ephraim, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greeting, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that you would, in the proclaiming of your word, the reading of your scriptures, the words that are spoken here, speak to us, refresh our hearts, and bless us in Christ. We pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. Terry said a few moments ago, kind of joking about me misplacing my Bible, um, that I was still recovering. Uh, What he's speaking of is the fact that on Friday night... I think a total of about 25 from the church um, went to Night of Joy at Walt Disney World. We left, a group of us left in the afternoon. Some others caught caught up with us there at the park. And um, we spent an evening um, at Walt Disney World listening, riding rides and and listening to, to Christian concerts. If you're not familiar with Night of Joy, if that doesn't mean anything to you, basically this is the gist of it. They, open, they leave the park open late for churches and, and youth groups and, and anybody who wants to come. And what they do from 7 to 1 a.m., they have not only the rides going, but they have music, concerts, Christian musicians playing throughout the park. They'll have, at Cinderella's Castle, they have a big main stage where they'll have three concerts through the night. And then they have a couple other stages in other parts of the park. And the, the youth love it. The adults love it. We had a good time. Uh, and we go, and, and it, is, it is geared primarily for the youth, but, but it can appeal to a lot of uh, different uh, generations. Uh, in fact, it was, I, I enjoy going. I've been doing these kind of um, Christian music festivals since I was in youth, uh, going to both Night of Joy and, and things like Atlanta Fest. And so I've, I've enjoyed over the, the years watching the, the, the evolution, if you will, of Christian music and Christian worship. Uh, it is a little sad for me, though, I, w- I will say to you. It's, it's slightly disconcerting to, to have the evidence of my age right in front of me um, when I go to these. And what I mean is they, um, 
at the main stage, you know, again, if you've been to Disney World, you know that the center of the park is Cinderella's Castle. That's the hub, if you will. And so they have, that's where they have the big names perform. And the evening progresses so that the last concert of the night, which began at 11.50, uh, the last concert of the night is the, is the, the, the real kind of popular appeals um, to the youth. It's a high-energy concert. They have the pyrotechnics. I mean, they do it. They do it Disney style. And it's, it's wonderful. And usually that's your main headliner, the last group of the night. The first groups of the night are still really significant, but again, it kind of progresses in, in connection and kind of popularity. This is where I'm going with this. The groups that used to be the headliners when I was in high school are now the ones that open the show. And that's hurtful to me. The opening concert that I went to was Stephen Curtis Chapman and Michael W. Smith. Now, if you follow Christian music, you know at one point they were the biggest names around. So they've kind of, and then by the end of the night, the last, cons, the last group that played is a group called Skillet. This kills me to say this. A group called Skillet. And they're, they're, I, I love the fact that they, the youth love these, this group and really connects and it's high energy. And I can only take about three or four songs and I'm out. And um, that's, that's painful for me to recognize that. But I appreciate them and it's, it's a lot of fun. This is where all of this is going. This is the whole point is we got back here to the church at what? 4 a.m.? 4 a.m. 4 a.m. We got back to the church um, here after being, you know, all night. And then the youth had a lock-in. And Joe and Julie McNaughton, our youth directors, were here. Terry stayed here. John, who went, stayed here. I went home and went to bed. Um, I was not doing it. I have served my time. I mean, I have done youth ministry <laughs> in the past. And, uh, and so the kids slept here. And, and on a side note, I love people that have warped sense of humors like I do. And Joe and John and Terry would fit into that and Julie. And so the kids, a bunch of the kids, we have great, great video. A bunch of the kids fell asleep in here. So they're sleeping on the floor and they're sleeping on the chairs. And at, um, I guess, about 8.30 when it was time to wake them up, John turned on the sound system and Joe and John, and I think Jay was a part of this, blared, um, it's a small world through the loudspeakers <laughs> to wake them up. So uh, it is... Disney's It's a Small World. You know the ride? I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. That ride is proof to me that hell is real. Okay? Because that's... What's, so, sorry. Um, if you love It's a Small World, prayers for you. So, um, anyway. So, so... The rhythm of the day was thrown off. So, so here's the point. Everybody went home beat tired. And I imagine most everybody tried to get some sleep. I had already gotten a few hours. I had to come back and get the kids and went back and slept till about noon. That's when my day started on Saturday, which is not the rhythm. The problem was I just, you know, you wake up, everything's thrown off, no energy, uh, trying to get going. I just wanted to stay in bed. You know, it was one of those things. And so, so I began to do what a lot of us do, which is to look for something to, to pick me up. Uh, some people, some of our days are like this normally. I mean, I, I tend the early afternoon is the most unproductive time for me. It's called the pit and the PM is how I've heard it described, where your energy drops 
And, and we feel that, and this was kind of a heightened stage of that. On a side note, you want to know who's feeling that right now? Tony's feeling that right now. Let me tell you why Tony's feeling that. We all went to Night of Joy on Friday night, but the women of faith, and Tony as, as the rep for women of faith, were present at both nights of Night of Joy. So Tony got home. I heard her crawl into bed at 4 a.m., and so she was up at 7.30. So she gets this. If she nods off during the sermon, it's not because I'm that boring. It's because she's that tired. But if she does, tell me, and together we'll mess with her. So, um, <laughs> not really. So, um, so, so I was looking, I was looking like, like Tony will be today and, and others who are part of that. I was looking for something to get the energy going, to give me a boost uh, in that afternoon. There is a whole market of products now that are out there that are designed just for this. There are products out there, and, and if you're not familiar with them, ask the kids. They'll tell you. There's Monster and um, Rockstar and Five Hour Energy and Nose, or somebody said there's one of those. I don't even know them all. But they're basically souped up caffeine drinks that are meant to help you get over the afternoon lull to kind of get. We don't have those at the house because. My kids would drink them all the time, and they're a very limited um, opportunity uh, in their life. But that's what they're, they're meant to do. They're meant to, to get us over the hump. Some of us drink coffee. That's what we do. We drink coffee, and maybe you turn to caffeine in the afternoon. Maybe you have far healthier ways to deal with that. Exercise is a great way to deal with it. But there's things that are meant to try to help give you an energy lift. Um, when I was in college, it was before all these high caffe- caffeinated marketed drinks, we just went with the classic Mountain Dew. That's what we went to. Two liter of Mountain Dew, that would, that would get you through the night. But the point is that we, we know what it's like to hit the law. You know what I did? When I was thinking about this this week, the, the, there was a product, it's, it's a gimmick, but it's where the title of the sermon came from, that was marketed in the 70s, that was designed, it was, came out in the 70s and lasted for a lot longer, that was meant to give you a burst of energy and it was a chewing gum. Do you remember freshen up the gum? Some of you remember, some of you don't. That's a pack of freshen up. I bought it. They don't make it anymore. I had to order it on Amazon because I started thinking about it. So I was like, oh, I want to get some freshen up. Freshen up was a, was a bubble gum, but in the, the center of the bubble gum is this liquidy goo that when you'd bite into it, it would kind of squirt out all the, the flavor crystals. And the way they marketed that was it was to give you a burst of energy. That was it was going to give you a, the flavor crystals to, to pick you up. And so, you know what I did yesterday afternoon? No, no lie. I said, let's go old-fashioned. And I went and I popped a piece of freshen up. And in about 25 seconds, I realized why they don't make this gum anymore. <laughs> Um, it tastes good for 25 seconds, and then the flavor's all gone. And now I have a whole bunch of freshen up bubble gum that I'm, my kids are waiting to get their hands in. The point is, this is the long segue here, is that, that we know in life there are times when we hit a lull, when our energy's gone, maybe because we've stayed up all night, maybe because it's been a long day, whatever it is. We need something to pick us up, to freshen us up. You know, freshen up, if you look that up, it means to, to revive, to, to reinvigorate. The truth is, our faith is like that. If you walk in faith long enough, 
If you walk with Christ long enough, you are probably going to hit spells in your journey when your faith feels a little dry, when your energy levels, faith perspective, is, is low. It's not that your faith goes away. It's not that you stop believing. But that passion and that energy that so often that we feel begins to dissipate. And we need something to pick us up. I, I see, I, see I, I prepare sometimes new believers for this kind of a reality, to see faith in a long-term perspective. New believers, especially adults that come to faith in Christ, I've said this before, new believers in Jesus are the most obnoxious people you'll ever meet. And I say that with affection and love because new believers in Jesus can't stop talking about Jesus. And I love that. And if you're a new believer and you talk about great, thank you because you pick me up, okay? But what I, what I say is understand that our, our journey with Christ is along and it's filled with ups and downs. And that's not to be negative. That's just to be prepared and, and to put the practices that, that nurture faith. Because the reality is we hit those moments where we need something to reinvigorate us. We need a freshened up faith. And Paul knew that. And that there's an undercurrent in this letter to Philemon. And I will, I will confess to you, I've said to every service... I saw this this morning. This message right here is different than I thought I was going to preach. Because every once in a while, God will put something on my heart that comes very, very late in the process. And that's what happened this morning. I read the scripture. I read it out loud. I normally do this early in the week. I will read it so I can hear it. And I hadn't done that. And I read it out loud. And when I read it out loud, I heard something I hadn't really thought of before, a focus based on two phrases that repeat. And these are the phrases that jumped out at me at the beginning of the week, but I, but I understood them a little differently. But Paul, twice in this letter, uses the term refreshing the hearts or refreshed the hearts. He says in verse 7, talking to Philemon about the church, he says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, in verse 20, he says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And see, this is what I started to think about this morning. I started to think about if Paul is saying that you have refreshed the hearts of the church, if Paul is saying, I need you, Philemon, to, to be faithful to something we'll talk about in a moment, to refresh my heart, there's an implication there that I hadn't thought about. But when I'm full of energy... When I've just woken up and my energy's high and I'm feeling good, that's not when I need to be refreshed. You can't refresh me when I'm full of energy because I'm already there. I need to be refreshed. I need to be freshened up to use the image when my energy's low, when, when it's not as real or not as powerful as I had been moments or days or hours before. So I started to think, is it possible that that Paul, is it possible that the church was in a place that they needed to be refreshed? Well, of course it's possible. Paul walked with Jesus from the day God got a hold of him and blinded him by the light of Christ to the day he gave his life. He walked with Jesus. And he's as human as the rest of us. Every reason to believe, and we know from Paul's letters that he needed that, and the church needed that. And what I know is that we sometimes need that. So I started to think, what is it that Paul is commending. What is it that Paul's saying brings refreshment? If I'm sitting here in a time in my life where my faith feels a little dry, 
and my walk with Christ doesn't feel as passionate, how do I find refreshment? That's, that's the question that was on my heart all week. And the key word is action. The key word is faith revived through faith lived out. Let me tell you, let me show you what I mean. First of all, Paul commends Philemon. He says, for his love for the church, for his encouragement. And he says to Philemon, through you, because of you, again, verse 7, you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, I want you to think about this. How did they come to faith? This is first-generation church. These are the first believers. They came to faith most often through the preaching of Paul. Sometimes it, might, it was through the preaching of Peter. It may have been another apostle. But they came to believe because somebody told them about God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Somebody proclaimed the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Somebody proclaimed to them the mercy and the plan of God and the love of God in their life, and they believed it. They held fast to it. They let it change their life. They submitted themselves to Christ. They were baptized into the faith. That's how faith was born, through the proclaimed word. But when the struggle starts to creep up, when the fire starts to die, when life begins to take over, Paul says through his words, through his implication, he says, Philemon, what has reinvigorated them, what has freshened them up is what you have done for them. Your love that is lived out, your encouragement as it is lived out. In other words, what fans the flame of faith is action. It is living faith. It is the doing of faith. You have lived out the love of Christ, and in so doing, you have refreshed the community that has gathered in your home to worship Jesus Christ. Faith lived out. Now, the body of the letter that he writes to Philemon, just to put another emphasis on this point, to exemplify this point even further, Paul writes this letter to go to Philemon, and he hands it to a man who has been his companion for any number of weeks and months, possibly even longer. And that man's name is Onesimus. Onesimus, in his time with Paul, has ministered to Paul. Paul's in prison. Remember, Roman prison was very often house arrest. Uh, it was not what we think of as prison. People could come and care for you, even though you were locked up. And so Onesimus has been Paul's caregiver. And it is implied in the body of the letter that in this relationship with, with Paul, Onesimus, if not has come to faith, has come to a deeper faith in Jesus Christ. But the other thing about Onesimus is he is a slave. And not only is he a slave, he's Philemon's slave. And so Paul sends him back. We don't know why he was with Paul. See, the, 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 we don't really know much more than what this letter contains. We don't know a lot about the relationship between Paul and Philemon. We don't know much about the relationship with Onesimus. But we know that Paul sends him back, and he sends him back with this letter. And this is basically what Paul says to Philemon. He says, I send you back with the man who was your slave. Receive him not as your slave, but as your brother in Christ. He says, receive him not as the one who is under you to serve you, 
but the one who stands beside you, beside you to serve with you. Receive him as a brother in Christ. And Paul says right at the very beginning, in the unique way Paul does, he says, basically, this is my paraphrase, he says, Philemon, I could order you to do this. As the apostle, as the one with the authority, I could order you to release him, but I'm not going to. I'm going to appeal to you in love. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm going to ask you to do it. Now, later on, you know, as Paul will do, he kind of throws in this little line. He says, and don't forget, Philemon, you owe your very life to me. You know, just as a little bit of a nudge. I'm not going to force you, but don't forget, you owe it all to me. A little bit, I think, a little bit of a guilt trip there. But what he wants Philemon to do, what he's imploring Philemon to do is to act on his faith, to take his faith in Jesus Christ and to put it into action by receiving this person who was his slave and freeing him as a brother in Christ, even at personal sacrifice. Because, again, slavery is repulsive to us. I get that. I wish Paul had said a lot more about slavery and condemnation of it than he does here. That's not what he does. He basically writes on behalf of this one man. But he says, even at cost to you, even though I know this is a financial investment for you, and Philemon is productive for, I mean, Onesimus is productive for you, free him because he is a brother in Christ. And this is the key. He says that by doing so, by acting on your faith, by living your faith out, faith not just in words but in deeds, as would be written about in 1 John, he says, you will refresh my heart in Christ. This is what revives faith when we live it out. When we take this relationship with God that we have been given in Jesus Christ, when we take the faith that we sing about and proclaim and pray for each week, and when we embody that in the things that we do, we fan the flames of renewal, not just in our lives, but in the lives of our brothers and sisters in faith. Notice Philemon is the one that does the action. He encourages the church. He loves the church. Paul says, act on this and free Onesimus. But notice Philemon acts and everybody else gets blessed. The church gets blessed and Paul gets blessed. This is where it's important. This is not just an individual thing. This is about us. We bless each other. We strengthen each other when we live out faith and we nurture the relationship. And we know this is important in every relationship of our lives, but sometimes we don't apply it to faith. We know that in our marriages, we have to live out our love for each other. We have to act upon the love that we profess for a relationship to continue to grow and to fan the flames of, of the connection, of the, of the love that we have. We sat in the, in the rain Friday night, Kara and Fred and I, sat in the rain, literally stood in the rain, for the first concert, the, the Stephen Curtis Chapman Michael W. Smith concert, and it was raining on us. And as we're standing there waiting for the concert to get started, we're talking about all kinds of things, and Fred and Kara are realizing how strange their pastor is the more time they spend with me. Um, but, but Kara said to me as we were talking, she said, you know, she's like, we, we, the, the grandparents were watching the kids, so, so Kara packed Fred's bag and basically just took them off and said, we're going to go to Orlando. They knew they were going to Night of Joy, and, and they got a, you know, they stayed at a hotel in Orlando, and they just made a weekend of it, or at least a night of it. 
And as she's telling me that, it's just, I love to hear that. I mean, that just, that blesses me because what I see in that and so many others is saying not only the proclamation that we love each other, but it's love that gets lived out in the things that we do. It's the way that, that we witness to the love, that we communicate the love. The words are important. They matter. But, but not if they're divorced from action and from doing the things of love. I'll, I'll never forget my father telling me of one of the counseling sessions he had with a couple that was going through some, some marriage difficulties, as so, a lot of couples do from time to time. But, it, but he said in this case to the husband, he says, how do you show your wife that you love her? And he said, I don't have to show her. She knows it. That's not a good recipe for strong marriage. Yes, it is important that you say it in whatever relationship, but it's also important that you do it. And that's what Paul is exemplifying. That's what Philemon is exemplifying. The church that is blessed, faith that is invigorated, that is freshened up by what you do. And in this case, for Paul, it's receiving somebody that was his servant and receiving him as a brother in Christ. Now, it's interesting. Nowhere does it say exactly what Philemon did. We don't have a, a second letter where Paul says, thank you for, for being faithful. But we're confident, biblical scholars are confident that Philemon was faithful. You know why? Because we have the letter. Because we have this letter, and it began to circulate among the churches. If Philemon had gotten angry at Paul's words, if Philemon had not acted faithfully on Paul's words, do you think he would have ever shared that letter with anybody? No, probably not. So we have to read into it. But we believe Philemon respo responded in faith. And again, he blessed others. And we know this. He was blessed. That's what faith does. When you treat somebody who is, in society's eyes, lesser than you, okay? And let me stress, in society's eyes. When you treat them as an equal, when your actions show your respect and your love for them, you bless them and you are blessed. When we live out our faith, I, I love to come here on Mondays when I can and, and to watch when the, the food pantry distributes and we have volunteers giving out food and we have volunteers serving meals and people are coming and being fed. I love to be around that. You know why? Because I get blessed by it. My faith gets renewed when I see you all living your faith. You bless me and I walk away feeling the presence of Christ even more so because I can hit lulls too. And I pray in some ways that my faith can bless you. We do that for each other. We're outward focused. We live it. And in so doing, we find renewal. We find a, a flavor burst of faith that freshens us up. My, my prayer for you is that this is for me. I, I'd love to think that we're never gonna hit the dry spells. But when you do, remember the words that you speak proclaim your faith, but the actions that you live out, the love that you show, renews your faith and the faith of others. Live it out. Live it out, brothers and sisters, that we would have our hearts renewed and our faiths freshened. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you that... You continue to work on us. You continue to, to speak to us. You continue to move us, if we'll respond in faithfulness, to the ways that we can live the love of Christ. And when we do, we bless others. When we do, we bless our community of faith. And when we do, we are blessed.
So Lord, help us not just to love you in word and speech, but in action and deed. And in that, be faithful, be renewed, and be invigorated by the presence of Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.